Well, a very big welcome to this service on Palm Sunday, the day when we remember Jesus riding into Jerusalem and celebrate God coming amongst us as King. That may seem a difficult message at the moment with all of the tough things going on around us because of coronavirus. But the manner of Jesus' coming on a donkey rather than a war horse and coming amongst his people to suffer and die, all of that shows a God who becomes king through the love that comes to share in the worst of our human experience and by so doing to transform it. So at the start of our service, let's join together in praising God. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His, His love, love endures forever. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let, Let us, us rejoice and be glad in it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From, From the, the house of the Lord, Lord we bless you. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. You, you are our God, and, and we will exalt you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. Give, Give thanks, thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And we're going to sing our first hymn now, and it's the song Build Your Kingdom Here which speaks of God establishing his rule and his reign over our lives. Well, having begun our service with worship of Almighty God, we now turn to confession. And before the words of confession uh, are heard, let's have a few moments of silence to bring before God those things that we particularly want to say sorry to him. Uh, four. On Palm Sunday, the crowds worshipped Jesus. On Good Friday, they shouted for him to die. Let us who also worship him confess that we sometimes reject him and ask his forgiveness. Lord Jesus Christ, you come to us in peace, but we shut the door of our mind against you. In your mercy, forgive, forgive us and help us. You come to us in humility, but we prefer our own proud ways. In your mercy, forgive, forgive us and help us. You come to us in judgment, but we cling to our familiar sins. In your mercy, forgive, forgive us and help us. You come to us in majesty but we will not have you to reign over us. In your mercy, forgive, forgive us and help us. Together we say, Lord, forgive our empty praise. Fill our loveless hearts. Come to us and make our lives your home forever. Amen. And God's assurance to us of his forgiveness. May God, our Heavenly Father, who has promised to forgive all those who sincerely turn to him. Have mercy on each one of us. Deliver us from our sins and strengthen us for his service. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. We're going to have our second hymn now. 
And this is a song that speaks strongly of God's grace, the grace of God that has uh, found us and forgiven us in Jesus Christ. The song, This Is Your God. We're now going to have uh, our Bible readings. Katie Lofman uh, is going to read our second reading. But before that, uh, Becky Mills is going to read to us from the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers. Exodus 31.18 to 32.8, the gold calf. When the Lord finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, written by the finger of God. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down and moulded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. The Lord told Moses, Quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. Thank you very much, uh, Becky. And now Katie Lofman is going to read to us from Matthew's Gospel. Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For forty days and forty nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time the devil came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away, and angels came and took care of Jesus. The situation of the coronavirus outbreak is changing fast. 
and news and information about the disease can be overwhelming. Not least of which are the many new, confusing and technical terms that are being used to speak about the outbreak. What's the difference between a pandemic and an, ap- and an epidemic? Quarantine and isolation? Ventilator and a respirator? Entire new phrases have been added to our vocabulary. Things like social distancing, herd immunity, or flattening the curve, squashing the sombrero if you're Boris Johnson. In the last week, my family and I ended a short period of isolation after showing very mild symptoms of the virus. But to be honest, one walk or cycle a day and a trip to the shops if really necessary didn't feel quite like the liberation I was hoping. The truth is that whether it is social distancing, self-isolating or general quarantine, we're all in this boat together. But isolation does give you time, time to do things, time to think, perhaps too much time. While I was in isolation, I came to discover that the word isolation itself comes from the 1400s, during the time of the plague, when the first permanent hospital for treating plague victims was established in Venice on a nearby island called Santa Maria. The hospital's location on an island is connected to the root of the word isolation in Italian, which actually means islanded. To be isolated was to be islanded. You see, I'm fascinated by words and their origins. There's often so much to learn from how we came to speak the words we say. But the other word I was most interested to learn about recently was the word quarantine, a word we've all become oh so familiar with. Now, when we are talking about the spread of disease, isolation refers to separating sick individuals from society in order to contain the spread of the illness. But quarantine refers to something different. Quarantine is about separating and restricting the movements of healthy individuals who may have been exposed to an illness. And that's the situation that most of us find ourselves in today. So where did the word quarantine come from? Well, I was surprised to find that the root of the word originally comes from another Italian word, quarantina, which means about 40. Around 40 days, or roughly 40 of something. But how did we come to use it in the way that we do? Well, the practice of quarantine as we know it began similarly to isolation during the 14th century, in an effort to protect coastal cities from plague epidemics. Ships arriving in Venice from infected ports were expected to sit at anchor for 40 days before passengers and crew could go ashore. Today, mainly due to our medical and scientific advances, we've lost any real link to the number 40 itself, and quarantine can instead represent any period of isolation that's required, depending on the specific virus or disease. But when I learned about this association with the word 40, it made me reflect on the fact that there are so many 40s in the Bible. 40 is such a significant biblical number. But what's that got to do with quarantine and the situation that we find ourselves in? Well, let's see. Because paying attention to things like locations and numbers in biblical stories often unlocks deeper layers of meaning. Perhaps we could think about it this way. When you start any story... Everything is new. The plot and the characters are a mystery to us until the story begins to unfold. 
But authors often use the setting of a story to prepare you for what's about to come. For example, let's say a story begins in a courtroom. What do you think is going to happen? We probably expect a story about crime and justice. Or how about the setting of an old, dark, derelict house? We probably assume that something scary is about to happen. These settings, they evoke memories and emotions because of other stories that we know that happened in similar places. A good author knows this, and they can use settings to generate expectations about what might happen in this story. And the biblical authors were very aware of that. Time periods like 40 days in the Bible are used like settings to link stories together from book to book, to set the scene and to help us understand what to expect from the unfolding story. With this in mind, it's important to understand that time periods of 40 in the Bible are usually associated with stories where people's faithfulness is tested, especially after a period of isolation. Think of the story of Noah and his family in that boat for 40 days and 40 nights, or of Moses alone on Mount Sinai waiting for the Ten Commandments to be given. What about the story of the Israelite spies, sent for 40 days to investigate the land of Canaan? Or even of the time when Jesus himself spent 40 days in the wilderness being tested by Satan? Yes, 40 in the Bible is significant. Even today, we are in the middle of a 40-day period we call Lent, which is a season of reflection and preparation before the celebrations of Easter. But how does our quarantine relate to any of these periods of isolation in the Bible? Well, as I said, 40 is a number that, when used in terms of time, represents a period of trial and testing. And I can't imagine many situations in recent history that have been more of a trial for us as a people. Not just a trial locally, or even nationally, but a trial that it seems everyone on every continent will have to face eventually. But what's really significant in those biblical stories of a 40-day quarantine was what happened after it. How did each of those involved come out the other side of their time in testing? The hope was that the number 40 represented a period of experiencing God's grace and that that period might be followed by a time of revival or a new beginning. But after the 40 days of flooding came a chance to start again. The Ten Commandments were a vision of how God's people um, may live. And the land of Canaan that they had spied on for 40 days was to be the long-awaited home that God had promised. Sadly, the pattern that we soon see emerging through each of these stories is one of a fresh opportunity provided by God and an opportunity wasted by a people too fearful and self-interested to capture the vision of a brighter tomorrow, that vision that's being offered by God. Time and time again, God gave his people a chance for a fresh start if they could only trust in him. And time and time again, they let him down and failed to trust in his grace being enough. How does Noah grasp his opportunity for a fresh new world? by almost immediately getting off the boat and getting drunk and bringing shame on himself and his family. The Israelites? 
Well, they became impatient during their 40 days of waiting for Moses on Mount Sinai, so they made themselves another object to worship, breaking the first commandment before they'd even received it. Or later, when the Israelite spies investigate the land for 40 days, they return to say, yes, it is everything that God had promised, a land flowing with milk and honey. But the people there are too big, and we are too small. Because of fear, they refuse to take the opportunity for a fresh start that God is providing. And instead, they have to wander in the desert for 40 years before their next chance comes around. But fortunately, we have the story of Jesus, who is tested in the desert for 40 days and yet remains faithful to God. He breaks this pattern of failure. He overcomes the test and begins his mission of bringing a fresh start, a new way to be human. Now, we may be in lockdown for a lot longer than 40 days and 40 nights, but I think the question is still relevant. If we choose to see this quarantine as a time of testing, a time of preparation, how do we want to come out the other side? Which example do we want to follow? What fresh opportunities might this period of isolation give us? How do you want to use your quarantine? Now, it should definitely be noted that for some of us, this quarantine is a very different experience. Some of us are having to work longer and harder than ever. Those who are working in the NHS, doctors, nurses, lab technicians, cleaners and many others, they're on the front line. For those who are working in shops, growing and delivering our food, and others that I haven't mentioned, their role at this time is their service, and we couldn't be more grateful. But for many of us, this is a period where we've discovered much more time. Time that we may have spent travelling. Time that we may have been in work or in meetings. Perhaps we don't feel like we have more time, but instead we're just spending it differently. Perhaps, as we try to balance Zoom conferences with entertaining and homeschooling our children, we begin to long for that 40 minutes we used to dread on a crowded commuter train into London. However you're feeling about this time that we're in, I want to encourage you to see this as an opportunity. There's no question that the world will be changed by such a seismic event. But like Noah stepping out of the ark, how do we want to grasp this fresh opportunity? I hope that we might use this time to prepare to exit the quarantine and see it as a chance to make the world more as it could be. So as I finish, here are just a few things that we might learn during this time of trial. Firstly, may we have our eyes opened to the fact that although it feels like we've lost control of our lives, the only thing that we've truly lost is the illusion that we were ever in control in the first place. When disaster strikes, we see the reality of the human situation. We're not in control. But during the unknown of this time, we can turn to the Almighty God, the creator of all things, the maker of heaven and earth. So let's use this time to work on surrendering our sense of control as we begin to recognise that it was an illusion to begin with. And may this bring about the ability to receive divine blessing and guidance because we've gotten our own self-importance out of the way. Realising how little control we have 
allows us to move through the world in a more restful manner and allows us to receive the grace that's available to us all the time, but that becomes so apparent during times of crisis. Secondly, may we see this as a time to connect. Every crisis gives us an opportunity to make something new possible. As I said before, this could be a unique opportunity to connect with God, to read that book you've been waiting to read, to spend more time in prayer, or to study the Bible together as a family. But it might also be an opportunity to connect with other people. I've been so encouraged to see that despite social distancing, we find new and ingenious ways to stay connected to one another. Families may be being forced to spend a lot more time together, for better or worse, but neighbours who've lived beside each other perhaps for years are often only getting to know each other for the first time. Those who are, are able to do shopping, they're doing it for the more vulnerable. People who haven't been in contact for ages are ringing up to check that everything's okay. We're praying for each other's friends and families as we realise that we're all in this together. I've seen so many amazing examples of this. Whole streets of people gathering at their doorsteps once a day for a dancer-sized class. And who can forget the incredibly moving clap for the NHS last week? Amazing. So, whether it's by phone or internet, at home or far away, may we also use this as a time to connect to one another. Why not pick up the phone, get in touch with an old friend and ask after them? May our isolation help us to realise the importance of community and may we carry this spirit of unity with us as we begin to think about exiting the quarantine. And finally... Let's use this as a chance to reimagine our world and our place in it. May we discover that the love and care, respect and solidarity that testing times like these produce, well, it doesn't have to end when the pandemic is over. Do we really want things to go back to normal, whatever normal was for you? Or might we think bigger than that? Let's remember that after a period of testing, God wants to give us a fresh opportunity. So let's use our quarantine to become the sort of people we need to be in order to imagine a more just and loving world when all of this is over. Well, thank you very much, uh, Nathan. Tim Davis is the third of our readers here at Christchurch, and he's prepared some prayers for us as part of this service. So thank you, Tim, and over to you. In churches in many parts of Africa, the minister says, God is good, and the people reply, all the time. Then the minister says, all the time, and the people shout back, God is good. As part of our prayers today, in this time of challenge and sadness, let us also reflect on God's unceasing goodness. So please join in at home and when I say God is good, why not reply all the time and then when I say all the time, reply God is good. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for all the people here and worldwide whose generosity reflects the goodness of God. 
in this time of challenge, of isolation and of, and of anxiety. Help us to see the new opportunities to serve one another within our community. Lord Jesus Christ, you taught us to love our neighbour and to care for those in need, as if we were caring for you. In this time of anxiety, give us strength to comfort the fearful, to tend the sick, and to assure the isolated of our love and your love, for your name's sake. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. We pray for all those experiencing isolation, and in particular those of us who are finding their mental health strained at this time. O oh Lord God, we feel the pressure of these events all around the world. Give us each strength to be resilient and brave, to show faith and to encourage others around us. Give us hope and deliver us from this time. Give us hope in normal times and resilience in times of crisis. God of compassion, be close to those who are ill, afraid or in isolation. In their time of loneliness, be their consolation. In their anxiety, be their hope. In their darkness, be their light. Through him who suffered alone on the cross, but reigns with you in glory, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. We pray for all those who are looking after children during the coronavirus pandemic. We pray for teachers, parents, guardians, for all our homes and families, our schools and young people, and all in any kind of need or distress. We pray for all those who are guiding our nation at this time and shaping national policies, that they may make wise decisions. We pray for doctors, nurses and medical researchers, that through their skill and insights, many, be many will be restored to health. And we particularly pray for many members of our church who are involved in healthcare. Ros Sainsbury, Sarah Matthews, Ros Green, Karen Hopkins, Emma Aston, Harriet Morgan, Andrew Mills, and all others who are serving in different ways within our health service. We pray for all those in other key services and for those required to work for the benefit of others. Grant them safety and security. Give them encouragement and strength and bless them with your spirit. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. We particularly pray for all those who are ill and suffering at this time. We give thanks that members of our church are receiving the care they need and give you praise that Famika Ferguson has made sufficient recovery to be able to return home from hospital and that Scott Graves is out of intensive care. We particularly pray for Jill East who has been taken to hospital after a fall. We thank you for the successful operation she underwent early this week and pray for her recovery. We especially pray for the Vicar of St Peter's Norberton, Peter Holmes and his family after he has been admitted to intensive care, suffering with coronavirus symptoms. We pray for his speedy healing and recovery and care. And most of all, Lord, we pray for our dearly loved sister in Christ, Hazel Brown, mourning the death of her husband. Merciful God, 
we entrust to your tender care those who are ill or in pain, knowing that whatever danger threatens, your everlasting arms are there to hold them safe. Comfort and heal them, and restore them to health and strength. We pray for the vulnerable and the fearful, for the gravely ill and the dying, that they may know your comfort and peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. And finally, we pray for ourselves as a Christian community. We are not a people of fear. We are a people of courage. We are not people who protect our own safety. We are people who protect our neighbour's safety. We are not people of greed. We are people of generosity. We are your people, God, giving and loving wherever we are, whatever it costs, for as long as it takes, wherever you call us. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. And let's end by saying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Well, our final hymn is Breathe On Me, Breath of God. Uh, Nathan chose the hymns for this service, and I asked Nathan when he chose this whether there was a touch of irony at a time when we're trying to stay separate from anyone else breathing upon us. Uh, Nathan promised that wasn't the case. Um, but we have nothing, of course, to fear from being as close as possible to God. And let's remember that as we sing this final hymn, Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with grace anew. Okay, well, uh, it is an opportunity to discuss another aspect of uh, church life. And uh, I've got Katie Kurt uh, here with me. And uh, we're going to talk for a few moments about Explorers, uh, which is the group for 7 to 11s uh, that Katie runs at Christchurch on a Sunday morning. So Katie Explorers, you've been running it for over a decade now, uh, a little bit longer than that, in fact. And uh, what goes on in a typical session of Explorers each Sunday morning? They're in for the first 15 or so minutes of the service, aren't they? But then they go out. What happens in Explorers? Um, obviously, we all sign in. And after that, we have a starter activity, which may be... Uh, a quick quiz or a in often running around the room um, or it might be uh, just looking at something from the Bible um, and then we might move on to our main teaching session which we might do some acting in or uh, will actually be a bit more of a thinking activity and searching in the Bibles. Okay, so how many explorers generally come? How many have you got on the books? How many come each week? What sort of numbers are we talking about? 
I think we've actually got a huge number on the books. Um, but to be honest, it's probably regular. Uh, we select from a group of about 35 kids that come along. Yep. And every week we probably have on average around 16 of them. Yep. Okay. And equally boys and girls? Um, a little bit top heavy on the boys, uh, yep. but we've got some very keen girls that hold their own very well. That's interesting. And so what are you basically trying to do at Explorers? If um, you were to sort of put it in a nutshell, what is the sort of central emphasis of Explorers? What do you hope is being achieved by all this, this work uh, week after week? I am very, very well aware of um, the grounding they will have had in scramblers and climbers before. They've got a basic understanding of who uh, Jesus and God is. My uh, main aim with explorers is for them to actually engage uh, with a God who loves them, but also a God of history. So I try and open up the Bible and give them a chronological understanding of the order of things and how they happen in the Bible. Um, and there's a lot of handling probably the Bible for the very first time rather than the children's version, yep. actually looking at the actual Bible, teaching them the books in order, trying to help them find their way about, about it. So books. getting a handle on the sort of overall structure of it and, and the way the Bible works as an overall sort yeah, of narrative. sort of yep. seeing how the Bible is like a library of books. Yeah. Now, whenever I come in, which isn't that often, but but often if, if I'm not leading the 9.30 service and, uh, for instance, uh, during the time when the prayers are being done, quite often I'll pop into the various groups. When I pop into Explorers, very often they're engaging and they've got their hands up and they're sort of coming out with their uh, their own ideas and their own sort of uh, take on things. Is that a very deliberate part of the strategy? Um, I think that is uh, obviously trying to get them to relate to the material it is it is difficult. It's not um, children today don't have as big a background maybe as I would have done when I grew up. Mm -hmm. um, but it's actually helping them to relate. What on earth does this stuff in the Bible really mean? Yeah. Do I understand it? Has it got anything to relate to my life or not? Yep. And you've got quite an enthusiastic bunch at the moment, haven't you? Uh, there's uh, some real live wires, which is what you want, isn't it? You. Uh, you want kids, uh, I think, engaging and participating and coming out with their ideas and being enthusiastic, even if that means being a bit noisy. Is that right? Yeah, they're definitely a noisy bunch. They're very <laughs> lively. They love a chat. Yeah. Um, and my job is really to try and get them to be engaged as much as possible. OK, now, if there's any explorers out there who are listening to this and there are one or two parents who might want to play this bit to their children, what would be your message to the explorers uh, any children in that age group between uh, sort of 7 and 11 during this, this rather odd time of coronavirus, is there any message that you want to give to the explorers out there? Um, really just that um, we are living in a very strange time and um, it is very strange for all of us not being at church, but to just keep on remembering that Jesus is our friend and we might not be able to see our friends at school at the moment, but we know that Jesus is right there by our side. Yep, and they can read their Bibles at home, can't they? And we're, we're looking to uh, send out stuff fairly soon for our children to be doing at home uh, as part of sort of doing explorers and scramblers and climbers and tiddlywinks uh, and encounter. There are our various groups at the 930 service doing them at a distance, uh, but still being able to participate within them. Well, thanks, Katie, for all you do 
uh, for explorers and uh, a big thank you to all of our children's groups leaders sometimes it's only when things stop for a while uh, that we realize just how vital these contributions have been and one of the things at the core of Christchurch is seeking to do as much as possible for our children and young people and we're grateful to what explorers and all of the other groups do in that regard well thank you so much for being uh, with us uh, in this uh, service today uh, this is the third of our online services here at Christchurch next week of course it's Easter Day and we'll be bringing you uh, another service um, for that uh, wonderful occasion when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ but let's finish now with a final prayer of blessing and I've had to amend this blessing because it's one uh, that originally says uh, bless us O Lord as we go out in your name but since most of us are staying uh, indoors for the most part at the moment I've amended it to ask God to be with us as we stay in in his name so let's finish with this final prayer of blessing be with us O God as we stay in in your name may the lips that have sung your praises always speak the truth may the ears which have heard your word listen only to what is good and may our lives, as well as our worship, be always pleasing to you. For the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Christchurch, 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 Christchur